This past weekend, Lucia and I were at a marriage retreat at Community Bible Church. I did some teaching up there, and as all of my teaching is, I always ask for Q&A. I want to hear what the people, uh, what's on the people's minds, what they're thinking about, and so I try to interact with them as much as possible, and having Q&A time through all of our meetings is really good. What that does, though, it creates a lot, of, a lot of questions and a lot of answers, and sometimes we can't get to the end of it all, and we have more questions and answers than, we can prov- than I can provide, and so I will. It's not unusual for me to come home and, and continue to answer those questions that were asked during, the, in this case, a marriage retreat, and then also there were, six, there were three other meetings at Community Bible Church after the marriage retreat. And so that's what I'm doing here in this podcast. There was a question about self-reliance or self-sufficiency and how it it works out in our lives. And so I developed this article and this podcast to the good folks at Community Bible Church in Trenton, Michigan. And, and I hope that you'll take the time to study this and it will be a benefit to you. If you want to attend a counseling class, then I want you to listen to this podcast Because this podcast applies to every human being in the world, including you and every person that you ever disciple. I titled the podcast, These Six Things Want to Control Your Life. There are no exceptions to this. These are six things. They're all tied to this idea of self-reliance. And these six things want to dominate you. And that's why it's imperative that you and I understand this, not only for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of those that you serve There's a question that you never ask anyone, and the question is, is there something controlling you? And the reason that you never ask that question to an individual is because there is always something controlling you. Something or someone always controls us. The most independent person, the most autonomous person that you have ever met is not how he presents himself to be. We're all managed We all are controlled. We are part of something greater than ourselves, and we are shaped and motivated and controlled by that more significant thing. The Christians assume my presupposition. Not only do they presume it, but they would quickly inform me that that greater thing is God, and that is true. That is true. God is controlling us, or at least that's how things ought to be. But it's not how things are all the time, not when it comes to our sanctification. Even the Christian who understands how he is part of something greater has a hard time submitting to God in every way. We are always standing at an intersection where we have the opportunity to trust Him, God-reliance, or to trust ourselves, self-reliance. In the smallest things of life and the biggest things of life, every minute of your day is a process of submitting and trusting and following God or choosing to do things your way. That is the great struggle in all of our hearts. Acknowledging the Lord as Lord and submitting to Him as such, that can be two different things. And it's this challenge that makes things that can exert control over our lives worth exploring. And so what I hope you'll do in this podcast is you'll pull up your chair and say, I want to enroll in your counseling class and let this be the counseling class that you enroll. And I want you to learn these six things and learn how to apply them to your life as well as those with whom you serve 
Discipleship is a business of recurring themes. After a while, the discipler will see it all. Though a person's story may have a unique element to it, above ground, their external life, everybody has a unique story above ground, the lives that we live, our unique narratives. But when you go below the surface of our lives, when you begin to head toward the heart of our lives, there are controlling influences that are not uncommon. We're all the same. I like to use the analogy of a snowflake sometimes when I I talk about this idea of being different but being the same. Each snowflake is different. That's what we're told, and that is true. But did you know that there are common qualities about all of them? Snowflakes are small, all of them. They are wet, they're cold, they're white, they're temporal, and they will melt in your mouth. If you line up 1,000 snowflakes... If you line up 1,000 people, you could say that they're all different, and most certainly they are, and you could say they're all the same, and most definitely they are. Humans are like snowflakes in that sense. We all came from the same place, created by the same person. There is a commonality in the human family. This perspective is essential for disciplers who think they can't relate to a person who is struggling. How many times have I heard a Christian disqualify themselves from helping another believer because they say, I, I, I don't have anything in common with them? It's not true. And sometimes you'll hear the hurting disqualify you by saying, you haven't walked in my shoes. Well, it depends on how you want to relate to them. If you're trying to connect to the uniqueness of your friend's story above ground, their external life, well, you'll probably have a hard time because you'll not be able to connect with them. There are so many people who are like you, though, when you go below the surface of their lives. In fact, you can relate to everybody when you go below the surface. If you're trying to relate to the controlling and shaping dynamics of the heart, you can connect with any person. Jesus didn't smoke a cigarette, marry a woman, wreck a car, have an abortion, or flunk high school. Still yet, he can relate to any person. He can show sympathy as well as speak into their lives in such a way that could transform them. Why is this so? Because he understands the commonality of humanity. This great verse that we love in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's the first sentence. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. In my discipleship experience, I have discovered six common to to man elements that are the struggles of the human family. If these six things become the primary controlling influences in your life, the individual will relegate, you will relegate the Lord to a lesser position in your life. If you want to relate to a person in a discipleship context, you must learn how to connect them according to your commonality, and these six things will be the linkage that you need to connect yourself to them because you struggle with them as they do. Don't be intimidated because their story is not your story. On the surface, you may be different, but you want to go deeper than the superficial You want to relate to folks where it matters, the place where real change must take place, in the heart, the soul, the mind. 
if they don't change internally where you want to disciple them, there's no hope for altering their behaviors, their external life in such a way that are sustainable and God-glorifying. And so the good news is you can relate to any person, which means you can help anyone change. You can cooperate with the Lord as you water and plant. You can cooperate with the Lord in the transformation of any person. The title of the podcast, six, These Six Things Want to Control Your Life. Now, this is how I want to go about it in this podcast. I'm going to call these six things idols, okay, because they function as God replacements. Anytime these six things are a part of your life, they are practically replacing God in your life. Anything that replaces God is an idol, And the way that I want to share them with you, I want to share them in an inverted order. And so I'm going to start with the last and work down to the first. And so the last is is the result, and the first is the cause. And so we'll start with the result, the behavior, what you see on the outside. And then I'll begin to unpack as we work down toward the heart and the true ruling motive of the heart. And so when it comes to matters of the heart, This is what I want you to hear. It's not as complicated as you may think, because we're all the same. Regardless if you're seven years old, 77 years old, male or female, you can receive help from God's Word, and you can help people with God's Word. So let's start at number six. So we're going to go six, five, four, three, two, and one, and that'll be the, the source of it all. But up above ground, what people will see, number six, what they will see is a self-sufficient or a self-reliant person. The first common struggle with humanity is our desire to be self-reliant. This is a natural default, and it happens because of Adam's fall. You're either trusting God or your trusting self. You're standing at the intersection. Those are your choices. Will you go left or go right? Will you trust God? Will you trust yourself? Every minute of the day, every juncture of your life, every event, whether small or large, you have to make that decision. Am I going to be self-reliant, lean into my own strengths, or am I going to trust the Lord? There are no other options but those two. You're either doing things God's way, or you're doing things your way. Adam chose when he was at the intersection and he had the opportunity to trust God, trust himself. He chose to do things his way. He believed a lie. He volitionally stepped outside of God's sovereign care and became a sovereign man. Adam decided he wanted to rule his world. Self-reliance is an alluring idol, And it can make sense in our twisted minds, especially if you have been hurt and disappointed. There are some people who have been hurt so many times, been disappointed so many times, that they have this low burn anger at God, even though many of them would not even admit that. But they have a strong, alluring desire to rely on themselves because they're trying to keep themselves from being hurt again. The way that I want to illustrate this is I want to bring my two friends in here that helped me with virtually all of my counseling cases, and that is Mabel and Biff, and I want to use them to to unpack these six tempting prospects of idolatry. The first one that we're dealing with here is self-sufficiency or self-reliance. Mabel was put down by her father. That is the main thing she remembers from her young life at home. 
because she was a child. She was impressionable. Huge shaping influence was her daddy. She also had an immature faith. And the put-downs from him had a lasting impact on her life, on her soul, more importantly. She has struggled with the fear of man all of her life, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be significant, wanting somebody to applaud her. She's now 42 years old. Guess what? She's an excellent interior decorator. And anytime she is asked to help someone, she obliges. She always says, it's her gift. That sounds spiritual, right? But she will tacitly acknowledge that she can't refuse help when someone asks her. That's the fear of man. That's that craving to be accepted or loved or respected or significant by someone because of the shaping influences of her father. Mabel does not know how to trust God practically. Choosing instead to do it her way, self-reliance, therefore other people run her life. They run her calendar because her craving is so strong. She's always tired, always in a hurry. She's generally snippy toward her husband. What people see on the outside is, is a self-reliant person who's omnicompetent and is a fantastic interior decorator. What they, see, what they don't see below the surface of her life are these hidden idolatries that motivate her to live a life of self-reliance, which is exhausting her in creating marriage problems. Mabel's overly concerned about how people think about her. Her condition, self-reliance, is the fruit of her father's unrelenting negative critique of her. He also kept an emotional distance from her. So number six is self-sufficiency or self-reliance. Mabel struggles with it because she's after something she wants applause. She wants to be received and respected and accepted. As we get underneath the surface of her life, we see a person who, who has to be in control. You see, control, number five here, you have to control your world if you want to run it the way that you want to run it, if you want to be self-reliant. For Adam to reject God, choosing to be self-reliant, he had to take control of his world. The idol of control will always be riding just underneath the self-sufficient person. Sometimes we call this kind of person a control freak. Part of what it means to be self-reliant, to be in control, the reason for this is because, well, self-reliance is an illusion. It's not real. To be self-sufficient, you have to pretend. You do this by choosing only the things that you can manage. See, you have to whittle your world down to that which you can manage. The only way you can pull off self-sufficiency is to shrink your world down, meaning you have to control it. Only God is sufficient in all ways. For a man to be self-reliant, he whittles his world down to only that which he can manage, and that is what Mabel has done well, Biff did a similar thing. Here's Biff's story. Biff likes to pawn himself off as a self-reliant man. He wants to create this image, this illusion, this perception that he is what he isn't. After you spend time with him, you see why Biff is this way, the perceived self-reliant man. You see, Biff's dad was a passive henpeck man who did not lead his wife. His wife ruled the roost. Biff's mom was a bear to live with, a woman who had a detrimental effect on Biff's life. Biff counted the days 
until he could get out from under her thumb. She was mean, condescending, angry, bitter, critical. Biff had already dismissed her by the time he was 10 years old. Biff had a strong will, and he determined he would be nothing like her. From an early age, he began plotting the course of his life. Here's the self-reliance. Biff knew what he wanted to be when he grew up. He wanted to be a person radically different from his mom, and he knew how he was going to accomplish these goals. Biff carefully vetted his wife. He planned the lives of his children before he had them. He knew how he would train them and how they would turn out. Biff is a self-sufficient person controlling his world because he was running from something, that which is who his mama was. Of course, Biff was mostly blind to these things. And like Mabel, he will tacitly agree that, yeah, I'm self-reliant. I'm a little self-reliant. But he doesn't understand the depth of his controlling ways or the deception of his heart. The residual effect of his mother's behaviors motivated him to the point to where his strengths, and he has a lot of them, a gifted man, but they have become his most significant weaknesses. And so as you look at the external lives of Biff and Mabel, Mabel, the interior decorator, is a self-reliant, omnicompetent person. Biff is a self-reliant, omnicompetent person who is mapping out his own world. As you get underneath the surface of their lives, you see two control freaks, that they have to manage their lives. They need to manage their lives so that they can keep it as it is. And then when you get underneath the control, what you will find is the idol of comfort. At some point in our lives, we settle into what is comfortable for us. We figure it out, and we begin to strive toward our desired comfort zone. This pursuit is dangerous thinking, especially if you don't have a robust, sound theology of suffering. The call to die and the craving for comfort are antithetical. While Jesus calls us to die, the devil is calling us to Hey, did God really say, hey, would you like to bite this fruit? Too many times we choose the comfort of what the devil is calling us to rather than dying to ourselves. And in many cases, we don't realize what we're doing. Bill and Mabel have done this. Their parents have affected them so much they can, they can no longer see how they are being driven by what happened to them it is interesting how both of them are the same, even though their stories are different. You remember what I was saying earlier? Above the ground, they look really unique, and at that level, they are. You got the interior decorator who is omnicompetent, and you have the self-sufficient man who's mapping out his world. Mabel will not say no to anyone because she fears rejection. The idol of comfort plays out in her life by being the world's greatest interior decorator, or at least her church's decorator, who is always on call. Unlike Mabel, Biff is not concerned about being rejected by anyone. He can be calloused at times or insensitive. The idol of comfort plays out in his life by accomplishing a few predetermined goals— which are antithetic to his, antithetical to his parents' ways of being married and rearing children. For Mabel and Biff to live within their respective comfort zones, they must be in control of their lives. They must do it their way, self-reliance. Both of them are working within their strengths. 
Mabel overfills her life with decorating. Bill fills his with the perfect wife, perfect kids, perfect family, perfect vocation, and perfect lifestyle. The title of this podcast is Six Things That Want to Control Your Life. I'm working in an inverted order. Above ground, what you see is a self-reliant person. As you look under their self-sufficiency, you'll see the idol of control as they try to manage their world according to their passions. Up under the idol of control, you'll have the idol of comfort. They have found what is comfortable for them, and they're seeking to control it at all costs, hence the self-reliance. But if you get underneath this idol of comfort, what you will find is the idol of fear. It should be self-evident how fear motivates both Mabel and Biff. Mabel is afraid of being rejected, put down, criticized, or receiving an adverse opinion. Biff is fearful of turning out like his mother. These scenarios are the irony of self-sufficiency. Looking from the outside, Mabel and Biff come across as omnicompetent people. Folks can't stop gushing over Mabel's ability to whip a house in shape. They say, if you want it done right, call Mabel. Can you see how that feeds their, her idolatry? And then Biff is the envy of many men. Because of his submissive wife, imagine how she became submissive. She really had no choice with such a domineering man how he manages his children, how he has the perfect job, how he has the desired lifestyle. There is no question that Biff has it all together. It would be a shock to the less discerning to find out Biff's house of cards is standing on a fear-motivated platform. Both Biff and Mabel are afraid. Mabel's afraid of being rejected. Biff's afraid of turning out like his mother. And out of that fear, they sought their comfort. They found their comfort. They took control of it at all costs. And once they had control, they became self-reliant people. Do you see how it's stacking up now? So at the top, number six, you have self-sufficiency. Underneath that, number five, the idol of control. Underneath that, number four, the idol of comfort. Underneath that, number three, the idol of fear. And then underneath this fear, idol number two, guilt and shame. As you continue your journey into the depths of the heart, the next stop will be guilt and shame, a complex construct. This construct was what happened to Adam as soon as he decided to t- stop trusting God and choosing a self-reliant path instead. Anytime that you choose to rely on yourself, you will begin to experience guilt and shame. I like to call shame the internal awkwardness of the soul that we carry deep in ourselves. We're born this way, born in Adam. We all know there is something wrong with us, which is why the temptation is to mask it like Adam and Eve did. They put on fig leaves to cover their shame. And when we feel this internal awkwardness of the soul, we too want to cover ourselves. If you don't lead a child to God as the solution to the guilt and the shame complex that they feel inside of themselves— the strings of self-reliance will begin to wrap their hearts. Adam and Eve chose autonomy rather than trust, which led to a fearful search for comfort. 
The anatomy of Adam is the process for the self-reliant person. Here's how it goes. Guilt and shame causes fear, which motivates a person to find comfort. Once they land in their comfort zone, they seize control and refuse to relinquish what feels right to them. They are now self-sufficient or self-reliant people. Mabel and Biff were born with a sense of shame. They knew something was wrong with them. Their parents exacerbated their pre-existing Adamic problem. Rather than leading them to God for a solution, their parents poked a stick at their Adamic nature. This provocation pushed them toward natural strengths, which led to self-reliance. And so Mabel's natural strength, as she soon discovered, was to become an interior decorator. Biff's natural strength, which he soon discovered, was his strong will and the ability by the force of his will to accomplish things. And so above ground, you have self-sufficiency. Feeding the self-sufficiency is the idol of control. Feeding the idol of control is the idol of comfort. Feeding the idol of comfort is the idol of fear. Feeding the idol of fear is the idol of guilt and shame. And then we're at the bottom of it all. Unbelief. Throughout this podcast, I've talked about a lack of trust in God. Untrust, unbelief, disbelief is the core problem and the main idol upon which all the others stand. Mabel and Biff are Christians. They have been regenerated by the power of God, but they are not completely trusting God. In some ways, they do not trust God at all. They are not entirely sanctified, particularly regarding Mabel's decorating issues or how Biff operates his family. They have never brought these two areas under the obedience of Christ. They have been captivated by these life-dominating strongholds. Christians can act like unbelievers too. I'm not talking about their salvation. I think you understand that. I'm talking about their sanctification. None of us are entirely sanctified. God's Spirit is progressively sanctifying us by His power and His Word Our goal is to be incrementally controlled by God alone, which will ultimately happen when we're in heaven. I want you to spend the last part of this podcast thinking about how these six things take control of your life. If there is a moment in your life where you are not trusting the Lord, let's say in your marriage or in some other relationship, you just aren't believing, you aren't trusting the Lord that He's going to give you what you want. If that is your starting point, then the next thing that's going to happen is this internal awkwardness of the soul is going to be exacerbated. And then out of that uncomfortableness of the soul will grow fear. And then out of that fear will be a desire to find comfort. You'll begin to take take control of your own life and you'll become a a self-reliant person. As you think about yourself, as you think about your friends, I want you to watch out for these six idols. This teaching can revolutionize how you disciple yourself and disciple other people. These idols are common to all of us. Look for them. Learn how to help others to repent, but begin, by all means, begin with yourself. I have another article embedded inside this one. It's called Mind Mapping, a Detailed Study in Self-Reliance. I want you to read this article if you uh, read this 
uh, mind map article if you want to take this just a little more in depth. I also have another article here titled The Mysterious Interplay Between Fear, Anger, and Self-Reliance. And so if you combine those two with this one here, these six things want to control your life, it will give you a thorough study on this idea of self-reliance, how it plays out in your life, the idols that are underneath your heart that are driving you toward a self-reliant lifestyle. And if you need help working through this and you want somebody to talk to, then I would encourage you to come to our ministry and that you ask. It would be our pleasure to help you. Just get on our free community forums. They're free to anybody in the world. We have a a ton of resources that are free. They're underwritten by the people that have benefited from this ministry, and they love our ministry, and they want to support us. And because of their support, we're able to provide these, not just provide these resources to you freely, but we can also interact with you. I just don't want to throw resources out there, but I want to put them out there. And then we also want to be here as well so that we can engage you with the questions that you have. And so if you have questions for us, I want you to get on our website. Make sure you fill out your username and password. If you don't have one, get one. It, it is free as well. And then log in. And then when you do, you can get on our community forums and you can ask us any question that you that you wish. And if you have benefited from this ministry, can I just appeal to you? Would you help us? Would you help support us in what we do? We're doing a lot And we have a lot of people coming to us, and we do need your help so that we can continue to serve the folks who are coming to us. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.